Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Talking with uh, Greg Logan of New York Newsday uh, on the Nets beat, uh, they outscored the Suns 74-49 in the second half for the victory. And it's not just beating the Suns because the Suns have been, and I thought about this before the season started, I was looking for a team that I thought would be a factor outside of the Utahs and the Lakers and the Clippers and the Denver Nuggets and so on. I I came to Phoenix because they were 8-0 in the bubble last year. Um, I, I think that, uh, that they added the P obviously the big piece was Chris Paul, uh, to go along with Booker. So that's one of the best backcourts in basketball. So it was the quality of the opponent that they knocked off. And now they've won four straight. They're second in the East Phoenix, by the way, is fourth in the West or tied there. They've now won three straight on this West coast trip, but it just gets harder. Now they got the Lakers tomorrow night. They got the Clippers on Sunday. And uh, is Durant supposed to play? Is Irving supposed to play, or is it too soon? Uh, it's too soon to say right now. Uh, we talked to Steve Nash about that uh, yesterday before the game, and and he said uh, they've got to see if if you know what kind of strength Durant has in his hamstring that that's strained right now. So it didn't sound. He said he couldn't put it on a timeline, but it didn't sound to me like he'd be ready for the Lakers. Maybe for the Clippers because they have two days between those games and don't play the Clippers until uh, Sunday. Uh, as for uh, Irving, uh, I I could see him coming back against the Lakers because, okay, he had lower back tightness, but that's the type of thing that you can get treatment for, and he looked pretty, pretty bouncy uh, on the bench uh, yesterday, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him back against the Lakers. Sometimes, Greg, we, uh, we learn a lot from the stats, and sometimes we don't, sometimes... They're a little inflated, but 
in a three-point shooting league, these two teams combined for 77 threes last <laughs> night and only 27 foul shots. That was incredible. Yeah, it, it's a different world. And, and that's what uh, the Nets have been talking like that all year because uh, since the trade in particular, they lost a lot of their size and and even their defense. Uh, and... Uh, but they play. They've been playing small lineups. Uh, they've been playing positionless basketball, and it's just a whole different game. Uh, the the thing they have to do is just buckle down and play a little defense now and then. I mean, in the first half last night, and even uh, the previous game in Sacramento, they were just uh, going up and down and and trading baskets. Uh, but then when they turn on the defense for just a little bit. Uh, that's all it takes to, to get them going because if they can get a series of stops, you know, they have just so much offense. It, they are really hard to stop, and, and it's hard for defenses to, to focus on anyone. I mean, even last night with Harden as the only one of the big three, everybody around him played so well that, you know, it just, Suns couldn't stop him. When that first, we're talking with Greg Logan of New York Newsday, when the Suns, uh, when the uh, the uh, the uh, Nets were entertaining the possibility of trading for James Harden, my initial reaction was I didn't think it was a good idea because you got three ball dominant players, uh, and I was wondering somebody's going to have to give something somewhere. Durant's going to get his, and it comes down to Harden and Kyrie. And you know of Kyrie's background. I mean, he's had his issues in Cleveland. He's had his issues most notably in Boston. Uh, it became, I mean, my old broadcast partner in Boston, Cedric Maxwell, said when Kyrie left the Celtics, they almost threw a party. <laughs> I know. I know. That's true. And and that's the reputation he came with the Nets with, to the Nets with. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> and he really, last year he only played 20 games because uh, uh, he got a shoulder injury that just uh, finally required surgery. Uh, but when he was uh, playing, you know, his individual skills were just off the charts. In, in those 20 games, two of them he went for 50. And uh, and he showed his ability as a playmaker, his ability to get to the rim he is unmatched. Uh, but, you know, he's just a quirky guy. He has a different kind of personality. And, and so you just didn't know how he was going to mesh with, uh, with Harden. But, you know, there was a little... Uh, Kyrie was speaking to us about a week ago, and he gave us a little peek inside the window. And he said uh, that they were practicing one day, and he said to Harden, okay, you're the point guard, and I'm the shooting guard. And, uh, and he just has accepted that it's better to have, to define those roles. I mean, they both were bringing the ball up, sharing the ball, and so on. But it's better to define those roles because Harden clearly came in there determined to fit. And so his playmaking has been just off the mm -hmm. charts. And, and that kind of frees Kyrie up to be off the ball a little more and, and yet still have his isolation plays where he gets downhill to the rim or he takes a, a three-pointer. And so that understanding between the two of them has just worked out beautifully. And it kind of has underlined their commitment as a threesome to uh, doing whatever they can to make plays for each other and for their teammates because the goal clearly stated is to win a championship this year. And, and by the way, Durant 
coming off an Achilles injury, has more than returned to form. He's an MVP candidate if he can stay on the court because not only is he scoring, but he's a a great and willing passer, and he's one of their better defenders. So, uh, you know, it's that commitment that is starting to come through. They just need to get some time and some consistency together on the court. If there's been a criticism of the Nets, it's their deficiency on the defensive end of the floor. Is that part of the reason why they signed Andre Roberson? No doubt. You know, uh, uh, Steve Nash said uh, yesterday that, uh, you know, they, they love his athleticism and his ability to defend on the wing, and they will definitely uh, find a role for him. That's a, a former second-team all-defensive player in the NBA, and, uh, you know, he's not much of a scorer, but uh, they're adding defense. And they did that also in free agency when they added Bruce Brown uh, as a free agent in the backcourt because he's a a really good defender. So they're trying to pick some guys. You know, Roberson is nice because he has a little bit more size. I think he's something like 6'7 or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they they lack size as a team, but if they can play good team defense and get a few guys out there who are are really committed to that side of the ball, uh, that that really helps. Because as I said, if they can just put together stops on a consistent basis, you know, they are an unstoppable power on offense. Greg, you watch this team night in and night out, and there was questions about Steve Nash because of his lack of head coaching experience, his lack of coaching experience, period. Um, when I heard that Kevin Durant signed off on him, I said, case closed. Your best player is saying this is a good thing. Nobody else can question it. Now we're 30 games in. What kind of a report card would you give to Steve Nash in terms of the way that he's managed players' minutes in terms of the way uh, during timeouts. I mean, your observations of Steve Nash 30 games in. Well, uh, I I would have to say he's at least a B plus. And, and really, I, I don't want to sound like a homer and give him a, uh, put him in the A category or anything like that because there have been some rough patches. But part of that is a function of this season in the pandemic, you know, and all the injuries they've had and the COVID protocols and so on. And uh, he has, the Nets started their their 20th different starting lineup last night, which is an NBA high. And they they and last night also was the ninth straight game they, that they had a different starting lineup. And uh, uh, and so he's managed all the that roller coaster ride, the ups and downs, he's managed personnel. You know, sometimes people question his rotations and they wonder what he's doing or, or the fact last night that he kept Harden on the bench for almost seven minutes at the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, he does some some off the out of out of the box type of moves. Uh, so I think he's still working it out. He admits it. You know, he says he's still trying to figure things out. It used, earlier in the season, his he was going too long without calling timeouts, you know, when things started to break down, and he's improved in that area. But, you know, the, the thing that sticks out to me is, and, and I think the reason that uh, not only Durant but Kyrie Irving signed off on him is that, you know, he, he comes in with such a, an amazing resume as a Hall of Fame player. Uh, Durant and Irving both played against him during their careers, so, so they have that mutual respect for him as a player on the court. 
and and they and he and Steve is just a, a wonderful human being, and he has a great knack for relating to uh, players and an obvious intelligence, brilliant intelligence. And so uh, he came in and he commanded their respect from the start, and he's tried to make it. Uh, a collaborative uh, process, uh, a great atmosphere. And then he has a, a tremendous coaching staff around him. They kept Jacques Vaughn, the uh, interim coach, last year after Kenny Atkinson was fired. They brought in uh, Mike D'Antoni, Ime Udoka, uh, Royal Ivy, you know, a bunch of guys that, uh, that players really uh, have the utmost respect for. It's really kind of an all-star coaching staff. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, so really, he's done a, a great job, but you know, it's just been a roller coaster, as I said, because of all these injuries and lineup changes and stuff like that. So I think he has to get a lot of credit for uh, navigating that, and and honestly, for getting them to buckle down and play defense. Uh, a few nights ago, uh, last week, you could see on the telecast he had a uh, he had a, a little sit down with uh, DeAndre Jordan who was playing very poor defense at Detroit and the very next game against uh, the Pacers Jordan came out and was just dominant on mm. defense protecting the paint and so and and Nash was honest he said he said that he and DeAndre had some angry exchanges with each other but they worked mm. it out because that's what they were they both had the same goal and, and Jordan just downplayed it as two guys being competitive but, uh, you know, Nash got some results. Hey, how long is, Dion, uh, is Jordan out? Uh, well, Jordan was, was back last oh, night. Okay. He just missed one game in, All right. uh, in okay. Sacramento. All right. Uh, let me get back to that coaching staff. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dan Tony's. I, I've known Mike for a long time, and I think the world of him is a coach. He's an innovative guy, very creative. Uh, and I think the success, if the Nets continue to succeed – you know that there are going to be teams that are going to be looking to, to sign Mike D'Antoni, right? You would think so, yeah. With his experience, uh, I would absolutely do that. But, you but know, I, go ahead. I just wonder if having the chance to help Nash and be kind of be the number one guy on the bench uh, with these three superstars, I just wonder if that's a, a huge attraction to him to, to, to be on a team like this. Yeah, but you always want your own, you always want your own team. You know that. But, you know, it... If Nash continues along this road, you know it's a copycat league. There are going to be other owners and other general managers that are going to say, hey, he's successful, uh, Monty Williams is successful, you got a, Steve Kerr is successful. They're going to start looking at former players to step into that role. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, and, and I'm glad you mentioned Monty Williams because that's another guy who is a, a tremendous human being and who just comes in with the automatic respect of the players because of the type of person he is and the type of player he was. And and so you need that combination of just, you know, uh, when you have a, a highly skilled veteran player who also combines that with, you know, just obvious smarts and, and an ability at, at human relations, uh, you know, that's a great combination. But, you know, uh, those those guys don't grow on trees. Either. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking about Greg Logan of New York Newsday, let's just play suppose. Suppose Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't go down. Do they still make the Harden trade? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I, I my 
thing that I wonder is whether Dinwiddie would have been part of that or not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Apparently, the Rockets weren't interested in him, but a lot of teams are, and and he's definitely capable of being a starting pointing guard, point guard in this league, and he's proven that. Today, um, I don't know if you're aware of it, today's the anniversary, uh, 30 to, uh, 51 years ago today, or thereabouts, um, 30, that's 53 years ago, the Basketball Hall of Fame opened in Springfield, Massachusetts. And I only mention that because I have felt for a long time that there should be a pro-NBA Hall of Fame, like the NFL and so on and Major League Baseball. And, and I've had people that are saying, you know, Basketball Hall of Fame is a Hall of Fame. I think that it's time for a just an NBA-only Hall of Fame. Am I on, the, uh, on a wrong track? How, how would you react to that? <laughs> I could absolutely see that. I could absolutely see that uh, because, you know, r- really, they're, they're a, a separate entity from the college game, you know, from, from the John Woodens and the Mike Krzyzewskis and, uh, and, and all the, uh, the college players who are in there and, and maybe didn't do as much in the pros. Uh, you know, I could absolutely see that. Uh, I, I think that's, that's a good idea. And also, uh, I, I would be surprised if somebody like uh, Adam Silver wouldn't be totally behind that because it, it would just be another another way of uh, the NBA to put their stamp on something that's all their own, you know, and, and, and brand it, so to speak. Hey, Greg, I got to tell you, uh, a few years ago, uh, I happened to attend John Andres' funeral at Fordham. And Adam Silver was there as well. Uh, and, you know, sometime later on after the funeral, we got to talking, he and I, and I, I made the suggestion to him about an NBA-only Hall of Fame. And he goes, okay, I had not thought about that, but that's something to consider. So, uh, look, he, I think he's the most effective commissioner in all of sports. That's just my opinion. I agree. You know, and, and when you look at, at the way the NBA has navigated through these waters with the pandemic uh, uh, over the past year, you know, uh, I think he's done a masterful job. You know, they, they, they were the first to pause their season. Uh, they created the bubble in Orlando and, and, and they've since, you know, put together a tremendous uh, and effective uh, testing program in order to uh, keep this season on track with no fans for the most part, you know, I mean, they, they had about 3,000 in Phoenix last night and the Nets are going to have fans next week. Right. So they're, they're gradually going to return. But he's just done uh, a really an amazing job under very difficult circumstances, in my opinion. Yeah, well, you, uh, Greg, uh, you've covered, I mean, just about every team uh, in the New York metropolitan area. Uh, and this is one of the few times in recent memory that both the Nets and the Knicks are relevant. Uh, the Knicks are like a game under 500, and they are playing great defense. And credit Tom Thibodeau for what they've accomplished. But Randall's having a career year. He's an all-star player in my judgment. Uh, they're getting contributions from a lot of young kids. Um, I, I'm, I'm still, I, can they make the playoffs? Sure. Uh, you know, maybe in the seven through ten category. Uh, are they a championship contender? I, I wouldn't think so. But. It's a marked contrast from all the negativity in recent years that's happened at Madison Square Garden. That's absolutely true. Yeah, you know, uh, I was uh, NBA columnist for Newsday uh, uh, covering the Knicks 
when Jeff Van Gundy was the head coach and Tom Thibodeau was his uh, lead assistant. And Thibodeau is just a phenomenal person. I know he gets a rap sometimes for being, you know, a taskmaster and a, and a tough guy uh, who, who runs down uh, some of his players. But it, it's a total credit to them that they went out and got him when he was available and put him in and gave him as much control as, as they have. And, uh, and you have to give him every ounce of credit for getting that team on the right track and, and starting to develop these young players. You know, um, they've got a couple of really nice young players, you know, Obi Toppin, R.J. Barrett, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and I, I think they're, I actually do think that they might make the playoffs just because Thibodeau is that good of a coach. It's, it's like the old thing uh, about how, you know, he can take – his players and make them great or he could take your players and make them good you know so and that's what he's proven in this case uh because that group was uh, floundering in the past uh, for many many years and now i think they're on the right track yeah no i would agree uh i uh look you're right tom thibodeau's got his detractors uh and for all the reasons that you indicated uh but he's doing a heck of a job with a bunch of young kids uh the question is staying power and only time will tell but it's interesting that in new york You've got two basketball teams that people are paying attention to, and I, and I think that's a good thing. Before I let you go, Greg, um, right now the Nets are sixth in the power rankings. they got to go play the Lakers tomorrow night. The good news for the Nets, they won't see Anthony Davis. But right. they got a 36-year-old man who's doing a hell of a job to the point of right now he is the league MVP and obviously LeBron James. Who's more astounding to you as a sports guy? LeBron James at 36. Serena Williams at 39, or Tom Brady at 43? Oh, my God. That's a tough one. That's a classic uh, question. Uh, you know, you just have to give all those guys their props and mm. and be amazed that they can still perform at that level. I mean, I've never been, you know, I, I covered the Jets for 10 years, so I've never been much of a Brady fan. <laughs> and I, lo- I loved Joe Montana as a quarterback, and he played well into his uh, later years. But I have to give it to Brady. I mean, uh, that guy uh, in his mid-40s winning seven Super Bowls, nobody's even close to that as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, I mean, Serena, awesome. You know, LeBron, maybe the greatest of all time. You know, I'm on the fence between him and Jordan. But uh, but Brady, you know, what he did this season is just uh, mind-boggling to me that he could win a seventh Super Bowl. Because the last quarterback I remember who was that old was George Blanda, and he was <laughs> kicking field goals at the end. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and well, he they're... didn't look the way Brady does. No, that, that's the truth. I hey, appreciate your time, Greg. Thanks very much for your insight, and you stay safe. Okay, you too, Howard. Thanks very much. Greg Logan of New York Newsday. It's an interesting argument when you think about it. Tom Brady at 43. Seven rings. Serena Williams. I don't know how many Grand Slam events she's won, but 20? She's 39 years old. Now she's going to go against Osaka in the semifinals. It's going to be tough. But 
LeBron James at 36. We're talking about the best athletes in the world play in the NBA. I don't think there's any question about it. The best athletes in the world play in the NBA. He's going up and down the floor against 20 and 21-year-old kids. Not only is he competing with them, he's beating them. And if you look at the NBA right now and say, well, who's the favorite to win the title? You cannot avoid looking at the Lakers. The Lakers, to me, are the team that you're going to have a hell of a time beating four times in a series. As we welcome in Dennis Krause, one of the stars of the Milwaukee sports landscape. How are you, Dennis? Well, if, if I'm a star, I'm a pretty dim one, but it's <laughs> great to talk with you, Howard. <laughs> I was just talking about, I'm going to give you the same question. Who's more impressive to you? 43-year-old Tom Brady, 36-year-old LeBron James, or 39-year-old Serena Williams? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, I think I'm going to go LeBron James just because the level he's playing at is just amazing. And I'm taking nothing away from Brady. Uh, but I'm interested in your opinion on something because we had this discussion on a show uh, all the talk since the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. And, hey, I, I'm a big Brady fan. I give him a ton of credit for seven Super Bowl wins. But I draw the line a little bit when people say, oh, he's the greatest winner ever in team sports. Well, Bill Russell won 11 rings. Right. Okay? So, to me, he's the greatest winner in team sports history. What do you think? Well, Russell would have had 12 uh, because, as I recall, uh, in his prime, I think he either broke an ankle or uh, I think it was an ankle, and he missed the entire season, including the playoffs. Otherwise, he would have had 12 rings. Uh, no, Russell's the greatest winner of all time. There's no doubt about it, just on sheer numbers. But Tom Brady, look, there's there are a lot of people who don't like Tom Brady, and I think a lot of it's got to do with jealousy. The guy's been extremely yeah. successful. Uh, people got, you know... But the thing that, that underscores everything with Brady is we know what he did with New England based on six rings with New England, and the question was always who was more important, Belichick or Brady? Well, here's Brady who now won a title without Belichick. <laughs> so yeah, how right. much how much respect well, do you give him for that? Yeah. I've, I've talked to some former NFL players that, I, I quite frankly, I think are just jealous, and they always talked about Brady being lucky he was in the AFC East and all this sort of it's more than luck. It's more than deflated footballs. Okay, give him credit. He's won seven Super Bowls, and to your point, lifted a seven and nine team to a Super Bowl championship. That's that means something. Well, do you think it's an accident that he chose Tampa Bay? No, I think I think he had done his research. And yep. done it very well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he looked at that, and, and I was watching Jimmy Kimmel had um, Bruce Arians on his show last week. And they got talking about the initial conversations that Brady had with Arians in person um, when he agreed to come to Tampa Bay. And Brady had done his homework to the point of where he knew everybody on the roster. Yep. Offense, defense, special teams didn't matter. He knew everybody on the roster. He knew he was getting into it. You got Godwin, you've got Evans, and, you know, Antonio Brown, and Gronkowski, of course, he brought along. But they're going to re sign Godwin. I'd be stunned if they don't. Um, yeah, uh, Antonio Brown, different story because he doesn't command a lot of money. Um, I, I think that he likes to be where Brady is. I think he's got a home there, so I, I, I believe he stays. 
Uh, let me shift over to the, what you're very close to, and that's the Green Bay Packers. I have never seen a season. We've always seen the word coaching carousel. And once again, there were seven jobs that were changed during the offseason. This is the first time I can remember a quarterback carousel. And Aaron Rodgers' name comes up, and I'm going, wait a minute. I mean, first, when they drafted they, they drafted a quarterback in last year's draft, everybody said it was Aaron Rodgers through it. Nah. What do you have, his best season of his career? Yeah, I think, you know, this all, the genesis for this was right after the NFC Championship game, uh, obviously a deflating moment, and Rodgers said, you know, there are a lot of players here who have uncertain futures, including me. And that started this whole wildfire of speculation. He's got three years left on his contract. Both the Packers general manager and head coach and president, for that matter, have said he's not going anywhere. They're not, gonna, they're not stupid enough to trade him. So unless he walks in there and says, I'm not coming to training camp, you have to trade me, which I find highly unlikely, Aaron Rodgers will be the Packers starting quarterback in 2021. I think you cannot say that about Drew Brees. I think he's done in New Orleans. Uh, Russell Wilson's the next name that comes up. I would be surprised if Russell Wilson were not part of the Seahawks, but who knows? Uh, look, how much of the, and you do talk in Milwaukee, how much of an aftershock was there after the game when they lose to Tampa Bay? Number one, that Aaron Rodgers didn't take off on run on the third down play when I believe he could have made it. Or at bare minimum, gotten to the one or two yard line. That was number one, and I think Rodgers would second-guess himself after he saw the tape. But the other one was kicking the field goal rather than go for it on fourth down. Like, I just didn't understand how you don't understand that the Tom Brady is not giving you back the ball, so why kick the field goal? Yeah, uh, let me just uh, unpack a little bit. First of all, there, there was also a lot of talk about the Buccaneers' touchdown at the end of the first half. Yes. Which may have may have cost defensive coordinator Mike Pettin his job. Um, and now there's a lot of he said, she said about, you know, who called that play? Was there proper communication? The headsets wasn't the right coverage. Never should have happened. Obviously, it was a big blow. Um, and Pettin winds up as a footnote. His contract is not renewed. He winds up as a senior defensive assistant with the Bears, so the rival Bears. So they'll be seeing each other, and you know he's going to want to get back at Green Bay. Um, as for the two plays you mentioned, yes, there's been a lot of talk about Rodgers should have scrambled on third down, and then why in the world did Matt LaFleur kick a field goal? I'm of the camp he should have gone for it. You know, fourth and goal from the eight with your MVP quarterback versus trusting a defense which has been inconsistent facing the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady you're asking a lot to expect them to get the ball back. And there was some whining about the Kevin King interference call, which prolonged the drive. But to me, it was flawed decision-making. LaFleur kind of doubled down on it in his season-ending news conference. He said he would do it again uh, because he, sooner or later, they were going to need a field goal, and he trusted the defense to get the ball back. So uh, he's had some time to, took, uh, to think about it. I guess the analytics people, which – he relies on, say, it's 50-50 split, basically, on whether you kick the field goal or go for it. Uh, I I just know what I would have done in that situation, and I think what a lot of Packers fans feel is that you got where you were by being aggressive all season, mm -hmm. and you weren't aggressive in that sequence. Milwaukee sportscaster Dennis Krause, I'll, I'll take one further stab at, at, at underscoring why Green Bay lost to Tampa. When you turn Tom Brady over three times, 
and you come away with two field goals, that's just not going to get it. Because I firmly believe, and look, I'm giving Tampa Bay all the credit defensively for winning the Super Bowl. Uh, as much as I believe but Brady was the MVP of the game, that's okay. But the real MVP was Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator. Uh, and the way that he had Patrick, uh, the way that he had Mahomes running all over the place for his life the entire game. But if Kansas City turned Brady over three times in the first half, believe me, the outcome would have been different. I agree with you about Todd Bowles. Twice he did it to the Packers in the regular season in October and then in the playoffs. And I felt he did what Staley should have done with the Rams the week before. I don't think Rodgers was touched in that first playoff game. That, that, whatever strategy they had didn't work. Yet, yet Staley got hired as head coach be, you know, because of his work with the Rams. It's kind of uh, baffling to me. Uh, I think that the Buccaneers were the one team that figured out the only way you slow down Aaron Rodgers is to put heat on him and make him uncomfortable, uh, and, and they did that. Uh, and Tampa Bay, you know, in my mind, they deserve to win the Super Bowl because look at who they beat on the road on yep. the way to get to the Super Bowl. Yep. That's just amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. I completely agree. They, look, they earned their stripes. But there's always going to be the, the doomsayers that say, oh, you know, Tom Brady, he's lucky. No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. Because I'd rather be good and lucky than just lucky. And he's both. I, I think a lot of it, and you pointed this out earlier, Howard, I think a lot of it is just sheer jealousy. You know, he's, he's got a supermodel wife who makes even more money than he does, uh, and he's playing at a high level at age 43, and I think a lot of frustrated people are looking at him and saying, I want some of that. I uh, also make the observation that you are part of the broadcast for the Milwaukee Bucks at home, and they come off a, a loss last night to Toronto. And Toronto's really been, it's been like their unlucky charm. Every time they face Toronto, something bad happens. You go back uh, two years ago uh, or in the 2019 playoffs, Toronto's down 2-0 to the Bucks, and then they win four straight games and knock them out. Uh, as a matter of fact, they've ended their season twice in the last four years. So this is, <laughs> there would be this noticeable bitterness from Bucks fans towards Toronto. Yeah, and it's interesting you, you bring up the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals because that was the last time the Bucks lost four games in a row until right. this stretch they're in right now. Right. Um, obviously, that was in the playoffs. This is the first time they've lost four games in a row in the regular season under Mike Budenholzer. And I, I think um, True Holiday being out has obviously hurt. They're one and four now since he went on the um, health and safety protocol list, however you want to phrase it. The, the uh, thought is that he tested positive for COVID, so uh, he has to sit out. We'll sit out for a while. Uh, and obviously, they've missed him. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.